the incomparable. Number 549, January 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is an episode about Star Trek Discovery Season 3. I have been spending the last 13 weeks talking every week with Scott McNulty about it on our Vulcan Hello podcast. Available in your podcast player. Go listen to it if you want to hear us break down every single episode. And a panel of wonderful people this week with Scott talking about the season. We had so many people who wanted to talk about Star Trek. We're doing two panels, and this one's on The Incomparable. Because that's the podcast you're listening to right now. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Remember, I said that at the beginning. <laughs> Let me tell you who's here to talk about Star Trek with me. Uh, we, we are in, I'm, I'm very excited, five different time zones for this episode. <laughs> and I'm going to move from uh, west to east and introduce, uh, in the Pacific time zone, Gene McDonald is here. Hello. Hello, Jason. It's it's great to be here. And yeah, five time zones could easily be covered by one spore drive. That, exactly right. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the season, Discovery goes through even more than five time zones, sort of. Uh, in mountain time, it's Erica Ensign. Hello. And a Vulcan hello to you, Jason. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The, wait a second. Vulcan hello is Uh-oh. a punch in the face. What are you doing? I played. I, I, I said the quiet part loud. In in a state that honors both Central and Eastern time, but I think he keeps Eastern time. It's David J. Lohr. Hello. Hi. Yes, I do. In fact, live in a place that has two time zones, and uh, at least two dimensions. Mm. So. Hmm. Hmm. Now we're gonna skip forward a little bit in good old GMT, the Prime Meridian, UTC plus zero. It's James Thompson. Hello. Uh, thanks for plucking me out of that trash heap. Or should I say rubbish heap? Mm, you can say that. I'll allow it. <laughs> and an hour ahead of James in a European time, because James technically oh, don't, is no don't, longer don't. in a European place, <laughs> it's Andrzej Tomic. Andrzej, welcome. A bunch to the face to you, uh, Jason. <laughs> Thank you. Live long with a sore face. Just... <laughs> uh, okay, so Star Trek Discovery, when we last joined them in season two, um, it was a season constructed largely to eject them from Star Trek continuity and push them into a future where they wouldn't have to deal with Star Trek continuity, which seemed like a good idea um, because you can't do things because the rules are that that didn't happen in the past in Star Trek. So uh, here they are in season three. They're more than 900 years in the future from not our future, they're, they're like more from the last time they were in the anyway they're they're way out there they're way out there out out beyond the bounds of star trek canon which is great uh and this whole season is structured around sort of them finding their place in the galaxy and uh learning about what things are like and trying to kind of get the pick up the pieces of a crumbling federation and get the band back together um so interesting new uh, horizons for Star Trek Discovery and and really for a Star Trek show kind of unencumbered at last from from uh, from canon. Um, I, I want to talk about the season as a whole in some detail, but I want to go around and start with the idea of bringing them uh, way into the future and uh, freeing them from canon and see how, how did everybody think that went? I'm, I'm curious, like the idea and the execution of we're out from under the the canon of of past Star Trek history, and we can kind of do what we want. I say, finally. <laughs> <laughs> 
Team I thought, finally. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I mean, that is kind of what I wanted from the beginning. Uh, like, like a number of people, actually, my spouse Stephen, uh, hate quit uh, watching the first season because he just hated it so much. He hated how it was mired in the canon and the continuity of being a, a prequel. So he just he just quit, which I was very supportive of because if you hate something, you don't have to mm-hmm. keep watching it. It's it's amazing. Uh, so I continued watching by myself when he was not around, and I enjoyed. I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, and then season three rolled around and I said, hey, FYI, they have jumped to the future. Uh, why don't you jump back in? And he did. And he has enjoyed watching the season. Oh. So I can say both from my perspective as somebody who has seen the whole thing and watched this crew evolve and then move forward in time. Your control group. Mm-hmm. There were there were very, very few moments where I had to say, oh, that was a reference to something that happened in season two. Mm-hmm. Because he was like, I, I think that the writers did a good job of not only moving the show from the past, well, from our future to a farther future. They did a good job of making it accessible for people who either didn't watch or didn't remember some of the stuff that had had gone previously it did feel like a self-contained show that was sort of starting out as as a new thing uh the characters were characters that i all knew and recognized but the setting was so completely different that it did feel like a shiny spiffy new show and i really enjoyed that well i think one of their uh nods to uh season two was was scooped up out of the spore drive you know, in the first couple minutes, you know, which was, I even I had to think, who, what is all that mess that uh, Ensign oh, right. Hazmat it's, has to clean up? Right, it's the bad guy from season two who's litter, <laughs> littering the floor of the spore chamber because uh, Giorgio killed him in, at the end of season two. That's right. They do have to, they mop up. I like that. I like that it's a mess uh, at the beginning of season three because so many shows, you know, terrible things happen. And then the next time you see that place, it's clean because the cleaners who are not characters and you don't get to see them have cleaned it up in the meantime here. Ensign Hazmat gets to do it. Other thoughts about the, the, the jump to the future? I should say first that I generally enjoyed the season on a week to week basis. You know, I liked all the characters and the overall kind of message of the federation turning things around and hope and connection and all that stuff is good but i try to write down how i felt about the season as a whole and i ended up with basically an itemized list of complaints mm, we'll get to and them. i think and i think they had a lot of really good setups and i think the jump to the future is brilliant from from a sort of freeing them from all that and them going into effectively an unfamiliar environment and you know even down to like oh, it's not called Vulcan anymore. Just things like that. It's because they can do anything they like. Um, But I think I had a lot of problems with the way they actually went over the, over the season. I, 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 I'm also team finally, because yay, you know, no canon almost. But the the thing that kind of, that really kind of, kind of brought it home for me that they were that far into the future was sort of the, the user interface of the ship. The whole, you know, Play-Doh, digital Play-Doh thing they do now. And I kept thinking, yeah, they're like 900 years, even, you know, more into the future. Like, but where's Elkars? I kept thinking that. And then I just remembered we're we're basically living that now because we have like tablets and touchscreens and stuff. So it was kind of, that's why what I actually liked about it. And the ship kind of has the nacelles that are sort of not really attached, but are attached somehow. Like, I I love the fact that they kind of moved all of that stuff forward as well. Uh, And it kind of, um, uh, it it feels 
futuristic-y again. I, I think I made that up just now. But yeah. <laughs> I think before it kind of, they, they were going, even the ship design, like Discovery's design was kind of a throwback uh, to, to like the old ships, all of the angles and stuff. But like th- this, this season felt like this was, this was actually in the future of the future. And that's a good thing. And I think they actually pulled that off, which which uh, is kind of hard to do because, you know, all of us have been watching Star Trek forever uh, so far. And uh, um, you're, you're kind of used to all of the stuff and to, to, for them to kind of go even, you know, forward like that and kind of makes it kind of looked good. And, you know, even the digital Play-Doh thing, that was, I, I like the, <laughs> the interface. It kind of made sense. Although, you know, Elkars was still Elkars, but you know, yeah. <laughs> the programmable matter. Something that that Lauren said to me was, it's a little bit silly um, that they jump nine hundred years in the future and then act all surprised that like the Federation is not around <laughs> because what government has survived nine hundred years? And I said yeah. to her, I said to her, okay, a couple things. One is. It's Star Trek, and you know they're in the future, and they've had these institutions longer, and all that. And the, the second thing is, it's exactly what Anjay said, which is, it's Star Trek also in the sense that what you really just want to do is make it feel futury, and so for canon reasons, they push it up nine hundred years. Of course, after nine hundred years, things are going to be unrecognizably different, and there's no reasonable expectation the Federation would still be around then. And it, it this is, it feels. Logically, it feels more like a 50-year jump or a 100-year jump, but they had to get out of the way of the next generation and all of that. And then on the tech side, yeah, like the the point is more to get the tech to feel advanced for for Star Trek, <laughs> but yeah. and, which is a challenge, right? Because it yes. was already oh a, god, yeah, you already had a tech of the future, and now you're like, well, now we need to make it more futury than this. And I think they did a pretty good <laughs> job because you have to have. I had that moment early in the season where I thought, okay, follow follow me here. This is a character from the future who lives on a spaceship and gets to fire a phaser and gets to beam places, and we need to have them be impressed by how cool new technology <laughs> is. It's like, how do you do that? And I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean, like, we have a lot of the tech that uh, the original series kind of came up with. Yeah. Not everything, obviously. And, and a lot of the next-gen stuff, have... the touchscreens and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and like, we've got Dick Tracy's two-way wrist radio, except it's more powerful than what flew to the moon. So, you know, okay. Um, so I, I do think they did a great job making it Star Trek future Like, it's just connected enough to what we know from the show without being, you know, solidly welded into it. Like the problem for me with Enterprise and the first two years of Discovery was that, yeah, we've seen more advanced stuff now. You're making this so many decades later and yet you're trying to be earlier than the early shows and try and fit in. And and so I like this where it suddenly feels like sci-fi again. I think the one thing that I liked was the the year time jump for Burnham. Oh, like yes. she has the whole year to you know. Uh, basically, she's in this new environment, and it's like she has to change over time to survive, just like the whole wider galaxy has in a bigger scale. Um, so when Discovery comes in, she can say to the crew, "Oh yeah, this is this is how it is," because I've been doing this for a year. Um, and I liked that. And I liked the tension that that brought um, as well, because she was kind of a bit uh, 
they were still like it was five minutes later for them and she's got off and had to be a bit more rough and ready to actually uh, get through the year first of all it allows us to get used to the new time setting without everybody else it just gives us a nice little focal point for that first episode and then it gives them an expositional person to explain things either off screen that we don't need to know yet or stuff that we need in the moment without being you know oh can we trust this person is this a new person we've never met no it's michael michael's a little different but it's you know we can trust that and it was a great shortcut storytelling wise yeah i think one of the themes of this season as we will discuss you know i i I would say the writers always map out what they want to have happen in the season and i think in the back end of the seasons you can feel that they have uh have to kind of rush and and cut oh, corners in order yes. to get to the end, which I think is it has happened every season now in Star Trek Discovery. Um, and I would argue on Star Trek Picard too. Like this, I think this is a problem with the way they construct their story arcs. But that said, it, with a hindsight of 13 episodes, clearly this is a story about Michael Burnham getting to the point where she is a captain and confident and capable and has proven herself. And so at the beginning, by having her be on her own, you know, not only does that give her information about the future, but it also places a little bit of distance between her and the Discovery crew because she's not the same person. She's been through this in this in this chaotic era uh, and uh, she can be the, their guide, but also she's different and has to kind of like find her way home. And honestly, as the story of the season goes, that part I thought worked pretty well. I think that some other characters... Uh, especially Saru, don't get served as well by that. But I do think that was a smart move to to set Burnham off on her own so that, you know, she has a different relationship with that crew. Uh, you know, it's time travel, but it's a good use of time travel, I think, to, for a character use of time travel that I liked. Let's shift gears then and talk about Burnham. How about? Since this is all about her, I mean, this is her show. By the way, I, I've definitely heard people, Scott and I talk about this, people complain like, oh, there's so much about Michael Burnham. So, yeah, it literally, she is the main character of Star Trek Discovery. And <laughs> she is the, she's well, the lead. Well, and now she's the captain of the ship, okay? They got there. They, they just took some well, time. Finally, because I think people are really confused by the thought that the main character is not the captain. Yeah. Because they're so used to that. Yeah, and I and think it, so. I mean, the whole the whole idea here is you're going to meet somebody and think she's about to become a captain. She has a very nice conversation with her captain. And by the end of the two part premiere, her captain <laughs> is dead. She's been convicted of mutiny. And you're like, wait a second, what? And then it's this kind of progression. I, I think that's one of my favorite things about Discovery is oh, that yeah. it is this sort of messy journey of self-realization to get Burnham where she probably, you know, we all assumed she would end up in episode three. <laughs> Although they did, like this year, they I think they did give the other sort of bridge crew some more airtime, I guess. Like you, they, they do stuff this year. Sure. At least that was my impression, yes. which I was kind of waiting for, you know, because um, I, I do agree with that the whole Barnum 
she's the captain. She's not the captain. She's like basically a convict. She's not. She's back. She's now. Yeah, yeah. She's a captain now. She has a catchphrase, which is we'll get to that yes. anyway. <laughs> but I do like that. There's, there's, you know, the bridge crew kind of got involved, and I actually, you know, remembered some names, and I'm Team Ovo forever. So you know, it's uh, <laughs> you, you kind of get you get a feel for that because I think that was always part part of Star Trek. That at some point, some people were gonna sit in a room and kind of figure things out, and I think that wasn't the case in the first two seasons that much. And I think this year it, we, we got some of that. I think that's very Star trek and kind of great that it's uh, back a little. I remember the moment in season two when Captain Pike is is running the ship and he just calls out an order to Owo. And I was like, wait a second, you know her name and you've given her a nickname. That's great. <laughs> so it's been nice to see them, all of them developing. Well, I think that um, one of the things I I didn't love about season two was that Burnham seemed to be like, you know, taking a backseat to Pike, even though um, she was still effectively the main character. And certainly by the end, she is. But I mean, I loved seeing Pike. Um, and I, I think we all just fell in love with Ansem Mount as Pike. But by having such a a, you know, undeniably good captain after evil captain in season one. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we, we felt like we were in the old Star Trek again. And he's like, even better than Kirk. And, and he got a lot of focus, uh, which I felt took away from Burnham's story. Uh, hashtag they built the sets but by the way which, which we said last year <laughs> but by the way they're making a show now so that, again i just yeah. i'm gonna say anjay we call yes it, uh, right we, oh yeah they built yeah. the sets. But i'm basically responsible for it yeah. so that's well done gonna be, you know, <laughs> thank you yeah. anjay. I really i'm like gonna you. just put that on my tombstone yeah. at well some like, point, so you know you know i think that uh you know as you've mentioned it's Old school Star Trek was not about necessarily one character. We didn't have a main character. It was sure. more ensemble drama. And I think they did, for me, a good job of balancing the idea that you do have Michael Burnham as the main character, and I like her as a main character, but also keeping enough of the ensemble drama to balance that out a little bit. Yes, it's true. I did. It did take me a long time to learn the names of, of a lot of the bridge crew, but there were enough other people that I did know the names of that it still felt balance to me when in this season like I'm not a big fan of the the the, the sort of self-realization arc so there were some episodes yeah. of this that were a little soggy for me simply because it was really about Burnham coming to terms with you know the fact that she had been there for a year and things and she had changed internally and she's not sure if she's really right real right for the federation anymore and like that kind of stuff just landed really flat for me not because it wasn't well done just because that's not a me thing but at the same time we still had other characters doing interesting things and for the most part, interesting action happening in, in most episodes. And even when I didn't really care as much about the internal struggle of Michael Burnham, I did care about her interactions with the other people, like her relationship with Book throughout the season and the way that that, that grew. Um, I, and, you know, watching Saru become an amazing captain. And I am Team Jason in terms of, of how Saru is, he was done dirty, I think, yep. in this season. But but w when it comes to Michael, I really think that, that the, the writers, for me, did a nice job of giving me other stuff to 
glom onto and be excited about and invested in when I didn't care as much about exactly what was happening with Michael, who, let me be clear, is still a great character. And I liked seeing her become the captain at the end. I wasn't super happy about the way it it, it came to be, but I still thought that it was uh, well done. Yeah, the Saru thing, I, I mean, I should just mention it now. Like, he, he has mm-hmm. been one of the great characters in this show. It's very clear that he's a good captain. He becomes officially the captain at the beginning of this season, more or less. Episode three, basically, end of episode two. And uh, he's very good at uh, managing people and it's not like he doesn't have things to learn and he gets advice from the admiral about you know managing his people and like it's a really good progression with him and the challenge is that the show wants to show off Saru and how good he is because he is a a breakout character for them but at the same time they have the destination they want to get to which is Burnham in the captain's chair and how do you square that circle and the answer is late in the season they start inserting weird dialogue about how Saru is distracted because he hasn't seen Kelpians in a while which doesn't make any (laughs) sense and 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 I at the time I thought that's weird and then it get and then he meets a Kelpian and then at the very end uh we mentioned this on on the Vulcan hello uh after episode 13 at the very end it's literally he is poochie uh, and has to return to <laughs> yes. his home planet uh, without a real goodbye or explanation. He gets a shot of him with his new friend on uh, on Kaminar, but uh, he he yeah he has done dirty, and I get why they needed to get him out of the way because basically like they can't write him out. He is coming back. He's a good character. All those things are true, but like, but we got to get Burnham in the captain's chair, so we're going to have to manipulate the story uh, in a way that gets. Uh, Saru off with a minimum of lost honor and I found it frustrating I would have much rather that there had been a, a you know some other justification for yeah and they the way since they wrote the whole season it could have also been him saying I'll be the captain now but uh while you're adapting but we need to have this conversation later because I believe you might be the right person like we could have had some of that set up at the beginning but instead he's just yeah. sort of shipped off and it was uh I think unfortunate and and how much of it is from saying, okay, we've got this great idea for the burn, right? What caused the burn? And and thinking, oh, well, you know, super powerful child, genetics, all this stuff. And at what point did they decide, oh, maybe it was a Kelpian child? And that gets and Saru off the ship. That Well, that gets him off the ship, but it didn't have to be. Yeah. Right? There's not really a great reason why it has to be a Kelpian child. It's probably partly because they cast Bill Irwin and said, wow, he can sound like Doug Jones. That's awesome. I mean, it still uh, could have been great. a Kelpian child and they they could have found, a, I think, a more elegant way for yes, him to sort too. of do that leave taking and Absolutely. have an actual goodbye scene with Burnham uh-huh. and say, you know, this is an important thing for me to do because, you know, without leading up to it by, you know, the character assassination. I'm starting to wonder <laughs> if some of the shows that I've watched in the last few weeks are showing the scars of COVID-19 ending <laughs> yeah. or limiting post-production because not only is Saru's exit yeah. very strange, uh, but in the Doctor Who uh, yeah. New Year's Day special, another character uh, basically says goodbye over a voiceover that's obviously <laughs> yep. been looped into a scene that was shot without <laughs> that in mind, and there's no explanation for it. It's just sort of like, uh, oops, something happened, and they needed to make a change. And I felt that way with Saru's ending, too. It was like, did you miss it? Did yeah. something not work out? Uh, I don't understand how he says goodbye to the Admiral, but not to his crew. It doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Uh, 
for a great character. I mean, the Admiral is pretty hot. Like Giorgio is getting a spinoff. <laughs> Maybe he's getting his own Star Trek different strokes set on, set on Canada. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we do need to talk about the other uh, characters, new characters and, and, and existing characters. And there are so many characters on this show. Uh, Carl. Now, now that we, well, there is Carl. That's true. Um, so uh, let's talk about the new characters because... Uh, First off, we have uh, we have let's let's Erica mentioned the admiral. Let's yeah. start yeah there. So Oded Fair, who is hot? Like that's I'll give Erica that he's mm-hmm. a very like he's one of those he's one of those actors who who always could play the general. Like mm-hmm. you know you know those actors where just a general shows up. It's like a, the situation room and a guy in a uniform walks in. That's that guy basically. That's that's mm-hmm. he, he was born to play that. A very attractive man, if I might say so. <laughs> Admiral <laughs> Vance is his name. I can never remember that his name is Vance. I just think of him as the Admiral. But it's Oded Fair who is a really good actor, and it is a good part where you're like he seems gruff. But approachable, but maybe menacing, and is he really bad? And I went yes. through the whole yeah. season thinking yes. he might yes. be really bad, so and that I good. didn't want him to be because I really mm. want to believe in the Federation and not have this nonsense of like, what if the Federation was really bad? It's like, no, it's not, it's not, and he's not, and <laughs> and he's not. So that's good. <laughs> there was there was three seconds where I was thinking, oh please, no earworms, just no oh. earworms, <laughs> just no. I mean, the thing no is, think, <laughs> I didn't think they were going to make him bad because. Hope was the whole point and the whole arc, and you you kind of undercut that with a bad, evil infiltration and all that. And yet, there were a couple of moments where you're like, "Well, you're playing the ambiguity nicely. I yeah. like that because I, they cast an actor who he's played villains before, and he's really good at it." I mean, you've got him, and they also cast David Cronenberg, and they, they were both <laughs> seemingly picked oh for that. Oh my god! Yeah, I totally have ulterior motives vibes. And then kind of nothing <laughs> happens. Like, you know, you get the director of The Fly to come in and play a creepy scientist guy who then just straight up explains what's wrong with Philippa yeah. and that's it. And, and he's a good guy. <laughs> I want to know more about yeah, him. Yeah, well, well, he's apparently back next season as well. Uh, somebody was asking, I was like, well, why do you cast David Cronenberg? Why is he in that last episode where he's just got a line of dialogue? It's like, literally, he lives in Toronto. He's available. <laughs> and so <laughs> they right just there. have him come over to be... Like, that, that was a case in the last episode where they had a line of dialogue. They need somebody talking to, to Vance. And they're like, well, can we get David Cronenberg for that? Because we don't want to introduce a new character and they're like, yeah, he, he's he can come in for a day. Like, all right, let's bring him in. So you get David Cronenberg in there. It's great. And he had that great line about the glasses. Like, why are you why do you wear glasses? I, I think they I look good or something like something yeah. like that, which was yeah. kind of awesome. Yeah. Also, he's allergic to rednecks. Five anyway. Uh, yeah. So so the admiral is good. Uh, the the whole premise of of the Federation being kind of broken, but trying to put it back together. I like, there's that nice, almost uh, foundation-like moment yes. with the guy who is, also it's very much Desmond from Lost, for those who have seen Lost, where there's a guy yes. who gets up every morning oh, and, yeah. he, yes. and he, and he yeah. shaves and he puts on his outfit and he sits in at the desk and waits for the Federation to come back. And he's I been doing it guy. for decades. And yeah. he gets brought back in the last episode at the very end, which is a wonderful callback because they're getting the band back together and that's what the whole episode episode is about um i liked i like that whole idea that the federation is not what it was but that it, it it stands for something and that i mean very clearly i thought this season would be all about that and it turned out uh it's not it was sort of like a little bit about that but really about like all of the other kind of 
acclimation to this new time frame. But I did like the idea that the Federation is there. It's got a bunch of interesting ships that are that look kind of weird. And then there's Admiral Vance and there's David Cronenberg is there doing, you know, being mysterious. And yeah, I thought that I thought that was good. There's such a, a strong theme of identity through the whole season. Who am I? What makes right. me who I am? Whether it's Burnham or Booker or uh, the the guy at the beginning or Saru or Sukal, everybody is facing questions of right. who they are and why they are there, and I love that. And Discovery has always been about who who do I you know living up to Federation ideals, right? For season one mm-hmm. and season two, we're also about that, and so I feel like that it's a perfect moment to have Discovery come in. And, fi- and have to find the Federation and sort of like stoke the fire a little bit. Uh, what I also talking about Vance and all of that. One thing that I also appreciated about this in hindsight is that it would have been really easy for the discovery to come from the past and like, oh, the Federation lost its way. And we're, we're going to show you what being a part of Starfleet is all about. And then you'll mm. learn. And then, and then, you know, and like we have to teach them mm. what the Federation really means because they've oh. lost it. And that doesn't happen either. I am so glad they didn't that, do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's another path that I'm glad that they didn't go down, which is, yes, they've got the spore drive and they've got a lot of dilithium and they figure out the source of the burn. And so they, like, they're, they're, and, they're healing, but they're not, like, providing moral guidance. They, the Starfleet right. and the Federation are still standing for what they stood for, and I like that. And I think that was important for the idea of hope and continuity, too. Right. Again, you can't, you can't marry Sue it. Right. If it's like, oh, our characters will save the universe. Only we no, know. They're just helping. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it, it, the, in the beginning, you know, first few um, episodes, it was a little annoying that they they tried to even pretend they weren't from the past. Like, yeah, because there was that was just like it's I you knew obvious. eventually. They're going to have to stop saying we've been adrift. What do you mean um, that this is old? My horse and buggy is a 2020 model. I think they gave, you know, they they gave up trying to, you know, pretend that was a thing pretty quickly. Obviously, you know, people figured it out right away who were smart enough, um, including bad guys. But uh, I like yeah. the um, that they, fi- you know. Because trying to maintain that and trying to trick the people that you've just come to their their time their era, um, yeah, you're in an antique would, would starship. Be. Come on, yeah. <laughs> well, and now see, this was another great. This is on my list of great choices they made. Was setting up the whole uh, temporal accords and no time travel, no time travel, and they kept reemphasizing that, so that we're surprised when we do finally get a little time travel. Um, and it was just a smart way of, of saying, yeah, we're setting this rule. We're not going to screw around with continuity in the previous 900 years. Right. That's wide open. So uh, another new character in this season is uh, Cleveland Booker. Um, David Ajala, uh, who is a really fun actor. And oh, yeah. uh, this, is a, this is a different kind of character uh, than we usually see on Star Trek in that he's Han Solo, kind of. Well, uh, he's usually like the special guest star in an episode of The Next Generation who's there once, yeah, gone. Yeah, except he's here and he, he ends up, uh, again, it's great. one of the, you know, uh, Burnham, you know, he's like 
no, 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 I'm not interested. I'm not interested in your stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, you're you're around for the duration, aren't you? <laughs> and it just, it sort of happens. But he's interesting. He's an he's an empath, and I think the maybe the low point of the season is when we go to his planet and find out that his planet is sort of a forest in somebody's living room, and we never see any people, and they're and they're apparently yeah. like being treat, mistreated, and there's a horrible famine. But all we know is that that's awfully nice furniture in that living room. It was very frustrating. I, I felt like that was maybe and, their yeah. budget their budget showed there where they just couldn't afford any people or sets uh (laughs) but uh but he's a good character the intense conflict with his brother which you know all of a sudden poof gone yeah yeah no that was a bad uh, he so uh, speaking of characters being done wrong i think that was the episode we were supposed to really figure out about book and i think it was a failure but i think the character is fun and the actor is really great and he has a cat uh, and he has a weird ship yes. that like is a bunch like a Lego ship, and that's also fun and future yeah. again future of the future kind of future uh, of the future vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I like book. How do everybody feel about book? I think he was great, but the, the the that that his episode really that was like a such a big minus to his whole arc. Like I just <laughs> wish he he would have gotten something better than that episode. Like the Desilu sets were like had more of a you know were more tangible than that that his home planet. I think that was really. I, I, because he's he's such a big part of Burnham's life, you kind of want to know what, like where he came from and all of that stuff. And I think that episode really did him a like a, a disservice. So I'm, I totally I'm hoping... did not notice any of that stuff. I thought that episode <laughs> <Okay>. was just <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Okay. okay fine. I, well, yeah. I mean, it played like an original series episode. It was. I, I found it, it very <laughs> shallow. Yeah, it was, but it, yes. but it was like a third season. It was a third season or a series episode. <laughs> well, it was like the, the cloud minders. We're told or, a lot you know, about what's going yeah. on on that planet, but we only see sort of three guys. And, and, and a rumpus room. And somebody's living yeah, room. Yeah, I think like the, the matte paintings from the original series painted more of a picture of a planet than the like two shots oh, of the, they, the forest. Basically. Did they overspend on the, on the trash heap set from that episode? Because that's a great, that was a great looking thing yes. where it's full of Terrific. garbage and and uh you know future garbage uh, and stuff like that it was really great and his, his planet was space kind of garbage come em- on empty space uh empty forest in a living room so uh anyway book is good character and in the end i like that you know he's got this ability to talk to animals and stuff which is a very fun uh weird i really like it People are like, oh, no, Star Trek is very serious science fiction. It's like, have you seen Star Trek? (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of weird things that happen. And so the fact that he's like an empath and talks to animals and has a glowy forehead and stuff, not only did I love how weird that was, because that's very original series to me of like, sure, why not? But then at the (laughs) end, it turns out that it's also a little bit of a setup because apparently he can pilot the spore drive. He can talk to mushrooms Which too. I totally bought. I was like, oh, yeah. you set that up. Of course That's he really can. good. Good job. Like, I thought that was a really great setup in that I didn't see it coming. I thought they were going somewhere else with that. And then I like I, one of the themes of this season is also like, okay, the spore drive is great, but Stamets is the only one who can pilot it. That's not something that we can keep going with. We need to figure <laughs> something out. And and well, so Book turns out that he can, uh, he's like a spore pilot guy too. That was great. And on top, on top of identity, you get people discovering new things about themselves, new things they didn't know they could do or were capable of, like Stamets and uh, Culber discovering, hey, we could be good parents too. Who knew? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's always been uh, that's always been a hallmark of discovery that I think they've done yes. 
really well. You know, people learning things about themselves, like the whole, Saru's whole arc of learning that everything he thought he knew about his people was a lie. I feel like they carried just carried that forward uh, very nicely in this season. Yeah, and yeah. one one thing I love about Booker is the the hints they, they, they layer this very nicely through the season as I rewatched it. Um, but the hints that that's not his real name, and when he finally says. Well, that was my mentor's name, and someday I'll tell you who he was. If I survive, I'll tell you. I thought if I, I survive, <laughs> and I kind of like the idea that we might never know. Yeah. I have a I I have a wish for season four. I think that Grudge um, will actually be a queen. Like he keeps saying it. Like yeah, and we think like oh, oh that's right. so sweet. He t- he says his cat is a queen, but like by the end, like in the rewatch, I thought you know. They say that a few times, and <laughs> you know we don't know anything Gene, about animals. And he's empathic and, Gene, and can Gene talk to cat's her. Cat spot too. Cat spot too. I was really that's what we're getting. I was really it's concerned be... that um, there's an episode where she because once you have the cat in the spaceship, you have to do a lot, I, which I find found was hilarious because not only do I enjoy that there's a cat in the spaceship, but I enjoy that then they have to do the work in dialogue to either take the cat off the spaceship before it goes into battle or explain that the cat was okay. Uh, and, and there's the one scene where they have to take the cat to sickbay because they all got irradiated. And the doctor says, she's fine. I, I resequenced her, you know, some of her DNA. So she does, you know, but she'll be okay. And I thought, Ah, that that kind of torpedoes my theory that she's the she's one of those um, cat people from Assignment Earth, right? The uh-huh. Gary Seven ISIS. had his had Isis, the the cat that was also a lady. But I don't know. I'm still holding out hope a little bit that there's more to grudge than just that she's a cat. And- I have really mixed feelings about that because like on the one hand, the sci-fi fan in me is like, yes, that would be so amazing if she, you know, if Grudge turned out to be something more and then became a bigger part of the show because I just really like cats. But then there's the other part of me that also just really likes cats that just wants Book to be a character who really loves his cat. Loves his cat. And it's not a a space Mm -hmm. cat because it's in space, but it's not like an alien cat. It's just a cat. And he's an empath. (laughs) After how many decades of being a Star Trek fan and going, oh, I'd love that technology or I'd love that, the thing I really want is the cat box that vaporizes everything and cleans itself. That's the Star (laughs) Trek tech I want today. She's queen. She deserves the best. That's just right. takes what's in the litter box and turns it into apples. Into fruit, apparently. yeah. Yeah, so, 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 so Erica mentioned uh, that Stamets and Culber are like surrogate uh, dads this season, which was a development that I really enjoyed. The, the, the young Adira, who is another one of our new characters this season, uh, they are a human who gets implanted with a Trill symbiont in a an emergency situation because their boyfriend, who is a Trill, uh, died. And that was the only way to save the symbiont, who actually has the memories of a Starfleet admiral. And it's all very interesting. And we get to go to the Trill planet in an episode that felt very old. Actually, it felt very TNG to me, but I really I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Uh, they're a very young character, and there's this. Obviously, there's the scene where they say, "I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm non-binary, basically." Plus, Trill. There's, there's a lot going. Plus, I can, I have my boyfriend who I can only I can see. Uh, there's until a lot other going, people can until other people then later can <laughs> in holograms and elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of Star Trek like sci-fi complexity, but also it's a person who is a very young person trying to find their way in the world, and you've got our couple of Stamets and Culber who've been through a lot but have kind of gone through the other side and 
they are like the parental figures for uh, in fact uh stamets at one point says i also have a child that i take care of or something like that and it's like you just claimed adira that it's just a beautiful (laughs) thing so that was a a very interesting complex knot of characters and star trek sci-fi stuff but um but I, I enjoyed that. I feel like that character didn't get a, as much screen time in this season as I thought. So uh, I hope that there's more with well, them next season mm-hmm. because although having a kid genius, I mean, it's the Wesley Crusher character, oh, sort yeah. of, right? But, <laughs> yes. but, but, but done yeah. better, I would say. <laughs> it's uh, a Wesley that nobody has to tell to shut up. Um, no, the, yeah. my, no that, that does lead to one of my few borderline complaints about the season. Um, I loved the character. I I think they did a really good job of intro- introduction and setup, and and then layering them in and using them properly in the rest of the season. But the whole starting point of, oh, is it safe to in, in, uh, implant a symbiont in a human? I don't know. I've never heard of that. And I can accept, you know, thousands of years knowledge is lost. But the very first episode we ever met a Trill, he suffers a fatal injury and his symbiont is implanted into William Riker. We know it can be implanted in a human. Give us a different crisis point. Also, that was a secret in, in until that episode. And because of canon and where Discovery came from, they have to have that line where it's like, yeah. oh, Trills, Trills are symbionts? Weird. We didn't know that because, <laughs> but it's in, the, it's in the database now. So we learned it. We watched all yeah. of Next Generation and we figured that out. So- now on Man. with the story where they have to do that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there were little, little moments like that. That's a little silly, but you know, what, what you're going to yeah. do. I thought, I thought yeah. it was. A, I accepted it. I and, let and it you go. talk about connections and identity and all these other themes yeah. and, and Adira yeah. and it fits to do a lot of that. I, I, they do really seem to like killing off and resurrecting their queer characters though, which is a bit weird. <laughs> it's a little you know, problematic. Yeah. You know, what shall we do this time? Shall we use the mushrooms again? No, no holograms this time. <laughs> um <laughs> That bothered me, but um, I mean, te- technically, he's dead before we meet him. But <laughs> well, yeah, but, yes. but kill but off we, the it's still characters. The, ex- Come on. the experience of of watching, you know, the, learning that uh, was, you know, a little bit traumatic, uh, I think. And then it's it's one of those things where it's like it's wonderful that we've got representation. It's super great, but. It's, I mean, it's it's the balance between how tragic are you going to make this? How painful are you going to make it for the the people who are being represented, who are watching it? Uh, and then, you know, giving them good rep- representation at the same time. It was, I feel like it maybe wasn't balanced as well as it, as it could have been uh, in that, in those terms. Uh, I, I look forward to Gray becoming a perhaps more substantial Tangible. part of the crew. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, now <laughs> that we know that computers can re- you know recognize enough to create a hologram yep. you know maybe but I that think, helps i think they th- one thing that was nice to kind of balance it out was just this this idea of found family which is a really important thing i mean that's an important thing for everybody but i know in the queer community it's a really really big deal so the idea of you know getting stamets and culber to take adira in as as their child because they're a kid still uh was yeah. just, that was so touching to me and so wonderful that by the end of the season that was one of my favorite parts of the entire the entire show was just that that found family and the way that they they came together it was wonderful and and there were a couple of moments like i even even now i don't really cry at things it takes a lot to get me to react emotionally to a, a show or a movie or something and there were several points where i teared up 
and several points where, where I did actually just straight up cry. And one of them was when Gray is recognized by the computer and it turns him into a hologram and and Hugh gives him a hug. Yeah. And it's just it's the, such yeah. a simple, yeah. elegant, they don't overplay it, they don't go nuts with it. It's just so nicely done. I mean, and especially also, right now, well, yeah. we can't well, hug especially. Each other. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Although it was very Star Trek because of course they were all another race when they came into the, mm. the hologram. <laughs> that was a nice messed touch. with my head. Yeah, that was so awesome. Because I kept looking. Yeah, he's Bajoran, right? And I, I kind of, <laughs> right. and then when they kind of, I guess, went back and were what they were, I was like, oh yeah, he's human, right? Like Culber, he's like, yeah, <laughs> not he's, actually Bajoran. He's, yeah, it's just it kind of sold me for the couple of episodes there, and just on a sort of a practical, just because English is my second language, the whole uh, um, uh, they them like the pronouns thing, that was kind of great for me because I got to watch it and kind of kind of really absorb that because that still messes with me because I translate everything in my head anyway, right? So I kind of hold on to the, you know, and then because every time I see, I, I hear them, it's like, it's plural to me still. It's still kind of hard. And just seeing it in a start, I know that sounds stupid, but like it kind of, like it, it it made it more real for me for one person to kind of, to, to, to say them and just mean one person. Does, hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. Just because yeah. English is not, you know, I know I don't have an accent. It's weird, but it is you know, strange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because it's not, it, it actually, I know that sounds like really, but it actually kind of helped me kind of get my, 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 my sort of my language bearings. If that, I don't know what I'm saying. I suspect but, yeah. it helped a lot of people that English is their first language. And that's one of the reasons I think yeah. this is so important. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, oh, yeah, important. I, 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 like with I representation do, I do. and 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 yeah. words words have meaning and language helps form thought like they they all, they all do go together and one yeah. one thing i loved about that that whole episode in the holograms was you know here's a great excuse that star trek can do whatever it wants and we get to see Doug Jones himself for a couple of episodes. Yeah. And that was yeah. so lovely. It had there were several things in the season that had a very Doctor Who vibe to me. Um yeah. the, the the spaceship that they're in at the end uh has a sort of a central console and stuff. I'm like, wow, this is right. it's very very Doctor <laughs> Who. But but really what when I say Doctor Who vibe, also by the way, the uh discovery is bigger on the inside because apparently there's a whole other universe <laughs> oh, where the, yeah, the I, elevators I, I'd written that Diane where the turbulisks go. I don't yeah. it's that's, Monsters that's Inc. in there. I don't know what's complaint. happening. I, I don't I mean they they just went with it and I thought that they did a very exciting, fun action scene with it. I still don't oh, understand sure. it and it still doesn't make any I, sense. I want to see the the diagram of that ship. It's subspace. It. It's subspace. <laughs> Suffice it to say, it's subspace. Anyway, what I like is, uh, as I said earlier, Star Trek does all sorts of silly things. I like Doctor Who like that they embrace very strange, unorthodox for for science fiction spaceship show television story choices i love it when they do something yeah. that you're like what and because it should have the freedom to expand like that and so when there's a, a, a pivotal part of the season is about finding out what caused the burn and the answer is they have to go onto a ship in on this on this weird planet that's got all of the dilithium on it and they end up in a holodeck that has been running for 100 100 years raising a child they have all they all turn into alternate star trek alien races and they have to sort of metaphorically figure out how to communicate with this child like that's so weird and yet 
<laughs> I love it, and I think it is perfectly Star Trek in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the, the fact that we come to this point, and now it's all about us as the wrong races of characters, including Doug Jones <laughs> without his makeup on, having to convince a child who's been raised by holograms that they're real while the holograms are all falling apart around them. Like, I just, I thought it was a master stroke. I thought it was a great decision to do that. I really, oh, yeah. I, th- I think it ends up being really good and emotional. I, I When they start intercutting it with spaceship battles, I felt like the tone didn't match and I kind of wished it was just a standalone episode rather than embedded in the finale with explosions and stuff. But I did think that that right. whole so-called thing was weird and beautiful and i'm happy that they were bold enough to make a decision like that because i do i do think it worked and yes culper gets culper looks great as a bajoran doug jones is a human (laughs) who knew (laughs) well i think my favorite my favorite uh um i mean other than seeing doug jones for what he actually looks like is uh i that was one of the moments i loved burnham the most is when she said okay i am a hologram Yes, I'm going to teach you uh, yeah. about social connection. Yeah. And I thought she just went right into it. And, and she's so just because she's so smart, so smart. And she did. I like and plus I loved, I have to say, the outfits. Um, she had these amazing like red uh, kind of capey uh, outfits when she was a hologram that I really enjoyed. I, I guess I didn't like the the solution to the burn or the the what was behind it. You know, you've got this mm. galaxy wide tragedy tragedy, and you know apparently Sukal got you know, bitten by some radioactive dilithium uh-huh. as a child or whatever, <laughs> accidentally kills billions of people, nearly destroys the Federation, and they're like, ah, it's fine, we'll just send him home. I'm sure nothing bad will happen. So long as he doesn't go near that no, planet again. They, they actually again. say once you leave here, you won't be connected to the dilithium anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. Don't go near dilithium, find though. Him. In general, yeah. just stay away from dilithium. <laughs> but, you know, like, don't go on a spaceship for a while or whatever. I, I didn't like it. But um, as you say, yeah. it, I mean, David Cronenberg didn't even try and dissect him or anything. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> Yet. Well, I mean, so maybe far. that's why it was so important for Saru to go back to his planet like Poochie, right. uh, just to make sure right. that none of that kind of stuff is going to happen. And ab- apparently 95% of the budget was just the hologram and the uh, CGI. <laughs> like when I saw Joe uh, in the Slack say, oh, they spent a lot of money on that episode, and he should know yeah. he's in that business. Like I, I was genuinely sort of surprised how good stuff looked. Uh, in the the whole the, the every hologram oh, yeah. scene, even the mm. weird ghosty thing, the apparition, mm-hmm. had to look that word up before we started recording. But uh, yeah, like it it really like that. Like I think all of the CGI in the like so far in Discovery has been pretty great. But I think this season was was better, at least to my eye. Like it really. It really kind of was. It was what Star Trek always kind of deserved, but never really got. I think. Uh, and then they just did that whole, like we said, that whole battle in a space that does not exist and that made me angry, but we'll go past that. It still looked good. You know, it still, it still <laughs> the, 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 the endless elevator kind of looked good. But uh, even the, the explosion of the, the big ship, right, that kind of, mm-hmm. which made no sense, but we'll get to mm-hmm. that probably. Yeah. Uh, like it all, it all looked really, really good because uh, just it's, it, you kind of forget. I like to watch random, you know, old track episodes. 
And uh, like in my mind, because I was, I don't know, 12 when I first saw the, the next generation or 13, it all looks so awesome, right? And, and it does not. And I, I think Discovery is the <laughs> first one that kind of just remember the game Riker played on Ryza. Just just think yeah. what, <laughs> like the VR game. He was, you know, it, when I was a kid, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And now I look at it and it's like, it's worse than Pong. But like, I think Discovery <laughs> is the first Star Trek series that kind of, they'll, they'll look good in a couple of years. Even if the CGI will kind of look dated, I think they, they really do like the, the the technology and the world's kind of justice in this one, and I think this season was the best of that. I'll take your word for it because I thought I thought Books Planet looked fine. So what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the squid looked great. I mean, the squid was awesome, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. the the flying squid, I should say. Yeah. I mean, I one one thing that stood out for me was especially Sokal's story, because my sixteen year old has been watching this with me every week. Like, we felt weird not having a new episode to watch this week. And kind of the way Pixar's Inside Out helped him unlock some some things about how his mind works, this really played to us because, it, you know, I'm not crazy about this as the, re- the resolution of the burn. Um, I think it's a little simple and, okay, you know, convenient. But just as a story about this character who has been stuck as a child for a hundred years with computers uh, is just, and, and, and his own emotions getting out of control when he gets angry or when he get when he faces fear. And, and of course, as soon as they, they, they said, Oh, he can't, you can't go in there. That's the, the worst thing he's ever seen. He'll ever see. And I knew exactly what it was and yep. And, uh, but just, just the idea of dealing with him and, working with him and talking with him and that all rang beautifully for both of us and and at the end i said does that remind you of someone a few years ago and he said yeah a little bit you know just dealing with anger that you don't know how to control Mm -hmm. um and you know so so again you know there are all these little niggling complaints when i look at them from a story perspective and yet I let it all go because I, I, the whole experience worked for me. I'm not sure there would have been a satisfying answer to the burn, by the way. I <laughs> no. actually yeah, liked, I like, I like that it was so, it, so, it's a little kid yeah. having a tantrum, it turns out, destroyed parts yeah. of the galaxy. Like, I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. It was a very pat answer, but sometimes that's the way it the worked. world works. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. At, at yeah, least, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Yeah. That was, you know, Gene. At least, uh, Thank goodness it was not related to Burnham. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my just... mom caused the burn. No, my great. Oh, I was so scared. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, yeah. That was the, please don't make this all about just a character on Discovery, whoever it is. And it was like That's Saru is my co- connection, but it's not, it's not just an amazing, incredible coincidence that that's happening. Now, um, a couple other things I want to cover uh, before we run out of time. One of them is uh, writing out Giorgio, which happens in this Mm. season. So this is one of those cases where I feel like the the behind-the-scenes production of the show ends up kind of harming the actual content of the show. So we end up with a two-part episode where Giorgio basically has... Uh, it's a wonderful life, or I, I wrote down. It's <laughs> a wonderful it? knife. Yeah, sure. Ooh, very good. Sure, or it's a tear in Christmas Carol, but it's something like that. The, the Empire on the Edge of Forever. Uh, exactly. Oh. So it, it, we have get these two episodes. I think that they're 
good, but the weird thing is, so Michelle Yeoh was supposed to be on the spinoff show, and I my understanding is that it, it, production of it got delayed, and so they kept her around, and they wanted to they wanted to keep her under contract, I think, or they had a contract that they wanted to renew because they wanted to continue their relationship with her, um, because the show got pushed back in terms of production. So it doesn't. It, I don't think it really made sense that they put her on the Discovery at the end of season two, but they did nope. because they decided they didn't have a show ready for her. So yep. the problem with that is they make that decision and then they spend all of season three up until she leaves, then unwinding that decision, which while it allowed us to have some interesting things with David Cronenberg and a reference to the Star Trek movie universe, the J.J. Abrams universe is referenced at one point, which is fun. And you get to see a TNG uniform, which is kind of cool, but really it, they shouldn't, she shouldn't have been in this season um, they, they, she's, she's great. And they invent fights and stuff for her to do because she's so great. But in the end, it felt like those two episodes could have been better spent on something else and that that character shouldn't have been in, I think well, in this season yes. at all, but they felt that they, they had to. So they did. It mostly worked for me. I think they spent too much time on it. I don't think it needed to be a two parter. Yeah. They just wanted to have a nice little cliffhanger in the other universe. Um, but I think it did work in terms of both uh, grounding Michael and and you know a few a few more experiences with a mentor who isn't really her mentor but kind of is. And she's a monster. You know, she's a monster who's yeah, also a mentor. A monster. Yep, that works. <laughs> um, and and to sort of help them each clarify their own identities and what makes them different from their counterparts as well as from each other. And that help again, that helps form her and make her ready to be a captain. But it also helps redeem Giorgio because I think they probably realized at some point she's a little too evil to be the anchor of, of a, a series yeah. where mm -hmm. she's heroic. And this way, it gives her that it's a wonderful life moment. I mean, look at how totally different she is by the end of that two-parter. Right. Uh, and also, it just gives us Carl, who was my favorite thing in the whole season. Paul Kilfoyle wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah. He's the, gar he's the guardian of forever. And, and he's just this guy. He's just this guy, you know? Reading a newspaper. Yeah. I this is a this is a part of the show that I do also have really mixed feelings about, and that's because I enjoyed watching Giorgio and Michael interact. Like I always have. Yes. The scenes are just are just great. So I was I was happy to see them get to continue to bounce off of each other. I was happy to get to see Michelle Yeoh kick some serious butt. Oh yeah. Um that's that is also always delightful. But I don't think that it worked super well as like a puzzle piece that fit nicely into this season. That was one of the, the parts that uh yeah. Steven, having not watched the previous seasons, really struggled with. He hated her character. He had not seen <laughs> any of the beginning of it so he was just like you know dropped into this really awful woman who says terrible things to people all the time um and he didn't have enough time in these few episodes to sort of you know watch her character grow uh, i did because i had seen more of her and i on the other hand you know i really did appreciate how much character growth she got and i i ended up liking the uh, 
the It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> episodes of her quite a bit, um, in part because we got to see the other actors on the show play baddies and sure. I'm sure that they were having as much fun doing it wow. as I was watching it. Uh, but I, I liked to see that character growth and I totally agree that it will, I think, pay off for the other show to have her sure. be at a, a different place. But I don't think it necessarily served this season of Discovery yeah. super well. That, that's basically what I was trying to say is that I, I enjoyed that episode. I did laugh. At the, the Guardian of Forever literally says something about, well, I can't tell you, but I'm sure you're going to be having adventures in the future. It's very much the spinoff <laughs> dialogue that she's given. It's a good, it's a good it's, thing. It's and the thematically, line. they do a good, they do a good thematic work with, with the, the mentor and, and Burnham. But it, it just, the whole time I just thought you, you made this sort of rash decision to have her be on the discovery and now you're going to spend an enormous amount of effort getting her back off it just seems <laughs> yeah. a little bit silly yeah like time that could have been spent uh, dealing with Saru a bit yeah. more I guess yeah right? like yeah. I also enjoyed the mirror episodes and, and Adira I, I and just... Tilly and like everybody else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah, just well, tilted yeah. the whole thing out of balance. And and my, now my son has not seen season one, so I had to explain the mirror universe a little bit. And I had to, and and he would say, "Are they are they back yet? No, they're still evil. Are they back yet? No, they're the still gold. evil. Look for the gold. It's... Yeah, look for the gold. Yeah. Look for them being you know snarly. You know, it's fine. At least the mirror uh, universe has nice uniforms. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all uniforms. Oh, and yeah. one thing. I'm, the other favorite thing about the season, maybe, is the last scene where they all get new uniforms. Because I have hated the blue uniforms they, for three. They seasons. felt worse and worse as this season went along, and yeah. I saw all sorts of other uniforms. And it felt like this oh. is a, a show that's done like five different Starfleet uniforms, and the ones that the regulars wear are the worst of the five. For some <laughs> reason, I don't really know why that is. So they get new uniforms at the end. And, uh, all right, can I just ask, like the the badges? Because I don't like the badges. Like, do you like the the, the, the weird like the ellipses? Look like Can, scarabs. Yeah, it's, I, I like scarabs. I don't mind them. I mean, the fact know. that they've become like a, a MacGuffin that can do so many things, you know. Oh, it's, it's a, a tricorder and a hologram and a communicator. It, yeah. Yeah, they they need all that for, for the capacity, for the memory, for it to yes. be able to transport you. Into, I mean, it's, you know, it's an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the original sort of the, the original badge is that sort of pointy, arrowy thing of the Federation, <laughs> right? Like, that's that's a pretty slick design. Like I don't understand why, <laughs> why, 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 guy, why walk away from that? I, that's you have the, to change because, the industrial design every few hundred years to, yeah, <laughs> to buy a new one, <laughs> or maybe because Space Force uses the same logo. Basically, they Johnny Ive <laughs> finally left Starfleet. I was yeah. just. I've been wondering since they introduced the personal transporter, is like how's that navigated? Like in the beginning, yeah, I just like. They're like, boom, I'm going, I'm here, I'm there. And there was one character, the lizard Linus. character. Linus, yeah. right? Thank you. <laughs> who, you know, when they first got him, who to me was the most realistic of like, how do you even know where you're going to end up when you when you activate I think, that I think thing. you're supposed to set a destination or have someone set a destination for you. And then according to at least, and they were consistent with this because I watched after I watched the the one of the... Uh, uh, ready rooms where they talked about this. Uh, the idea there is that when you're going back, there's a home setting. So they, when they double tap, okay. they're returning to where they left. From. No, double tap. So you, it's a double tap home. on there to go back. <laughs> it's very, very nice. And they actually, they trained the actors about that and they did actually a pretty good job of being consistent with that. But yeah, I agree. In general, there's that scene where 
Um, I haven't even mentioned uh, the 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 bad guy of this season, Osira, played by Janet Kidder, who is she's green, mm-hmm. she's an Orion. Um, they 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 <laughs> beam onto the Discovery and like take it over. And I think I thought to myself, surely you guys need to work on. And then later they they say some things about like transporter block, but it's like. For the for your stories to work, you cannot have it be that anyone can transport onto your ship at any time. You've gotta yeah. you gotta figure that stuff out a little bit. Um but uh but I did like again, that was an example of future tech, which is like we don't even have a transporter room anymore. We just kind of dissolve here and right. reappear there. And I, I I it felt Star Trek and yet also new in and that's like that was their challenge this season was was making those two things both be true. One of the yeah. other bits of tech, um, just bring, mentioning Asira, you know, she comes in, she wants a merger between the Emerald Chain and the Federation and genuinely wants to go legit because they've got this highly over-engineered lie detector hologram mm-hmm. thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I thought that was interesting because it seemed to set up the possibility of some kind of shades of grey of the two working together and whatever. But they, they immediately shut it down. Yeah. Burnham straight up murders her and then they blow up her capital ship. For no and reason. Like, well, you know, they just need well, to leave, but they reason. blow up her ship. Yeah. yeah. Well, that <laughs> solves everything. No, no wonder people don't like the Federation. Well, and just <laughs> jump. The, the Why thing that, the quarter? Just jump. I, I was yelling that at the TV. The, pro- the problem with the Emerald Chain is they didn't set that up. Like, I was really intrigued by all. that moment where she says, we actually want to make a deal with you and open these, you know, trade hubs at Federation points and we can work together and basically have a merger here. And I, I like where it ends up, which is, you know, you you are kind of the leader here, but you're also their military commander and have committed atrocities and you can't be the leader of this going forward. And she says, well, that's not going to happen and it all falls apart. But like if we had learned earlier on that the Emerald Chain, well, it's complicated. Like, yes, they mm-hmm. they do terrorism, but yes, they also are keeping people's planets alive and feeding them, which, you know, there are analogs to that in our modern society where you've got kind of a mixture of they feed people but they also bomb things and how do you deal with somebody who is operating under both those things they just didn't they just didn't set it up so you get to that episode and you're like wait what (laughs) like osiris what (laughs) that was one of my biggest complaints is that it plays like they wanted it to be you know oh Here's this evil, evil villain. Surprise, she wants a deal, but that she really wants a deal that's not going to be great, right? And they don't really, like, having having the lie detector, oh, well, no, she's telling the truth. Okay, well, she must be honest. Okay. And then when it falls apart, she immediately goes right back to full evil and they destroy everything. Yeah. And, and that had no, you know... If if she was really telling the truth, if that is really a problem, that's a more interesting problem and a more uh, Star Trek thing to solve than oh, let's just blow them up. Yeah, felt more like yeah, a headache. They didn't leave enough time. Yeah, yeah, that was not enough time. That's one of those episodes you could take away from the mirror universe. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Yeah, or or just ladle it in more. I mean, we could have learned more about oh, that yeah, on Books Planet if we weren't in the living room so long. But there there should have been there should have been a little more setup in the early part of the season. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's why not? Exactly. Why not the Earth Earth turning them away, saying, "How do we know you're not part of the Emerald Chain?" Overarching issue I have, and we can talk about the season arc as a whole now, now would be a good time, is it feels once again like they have a story they want to tell, 
uh, for the season, which is fine. And then they take their time with the first five, six episodes. And then they go, oh, geez. <laughs> we yes. gotta we gotta get it all oh, in and then and they the start cutting pacing. corners and doing very it's weird so decisions lumpy. and making characters make bad decisions because they need them to do that thing and yep. and that's and and I feel like every season now Discovery has had that problem where you get to a couple episodes in the middle and you're like, what is happening now and why is it happening? And and it is a pacing thing, I think fundamentally, that if they had taken the time to lay the groundwork for things like the Emerald Chain and and that they were more complex because they needed them to be complex to have that scene later on it would have worked yeah. better but instead they like just were it was very simple for the first 6 episodes and then the last 7 episodes they had to jam a bunch of stuff in and I, you know share your thoughts about the overall arc now i guess how I've, how much of it is is you know, filming before you finish writing the whole season. I assume they plot you know? the whole season in advance, and you then... can well, you can plot it, but but then there yeah. are things that work in as you go, and yes. things can change as you're writing it, right? You know, and it's clear that they always have an end point, and and they're like, oh crap, we got to get to that point. We're like ten episodes in, and they always, and that's that's the other thing is that they allow the episodes as they see, as they write them it seems to be they're willing to to just see what happens let's you know oh here's something new and then they suddenly have to go and then, oh geez oh, now crap, we, we had to. this end point well, you can point instead to, of instead of saying let's do a different end you point you can point to that line of dialogue about saru saying like oh saru is sad because of kelpians not being around and you can yeah. say like that's the point where they realized that they needed to have saru do this we thing need to at put the stuff end. in and it was sort yeah. of too late and really abrupt but like they weren't able to go back and see that in episode two three and four because presumably they were already shooting or had shot or had locked yeah. and were about to shoot those episodes rather than writing all of them just plotting versus writing yeah any other thoughts about the overall yeah. story there was some of the stuff that just kind of fizzled out like so they had the ship's ai having merged with this fear data mm -hmm. and Ooh. i thought that was an interesting thing and mm -hmm. like you know i love sentient ships i watched five seasons of andromeda for god's sake right um but <laughs> very similar uh, premise to the season of star trek discovery brave, by the way man they do end and, up yeah. a, a, in it does end up in robots saving cute robots well, that, saving that, the day that's the, the thing like it, it does <laughs> almost nothing it like makes netflix recommendations yes. to Saru and then they go into some <laughs> cute Pixar robots and yeah. that's it but that could have been a whole season like and maybe it maybe it will like I've, I've slotted that bit in with the gray thing like those are two things season that four. we saw yeah tantalizing yeah. hints of the beginnings of and then we will see them grow next season gosh I hope I mean, I hope so, because we saw yeah. a, a future sentient discovery like in the short treks right. in season yep. one same voice and everything yeah mm -hmm. and, and love mm -hmm. of old movies <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. other, I mean, other thoughts about the whole, you know, we, we end up with lots of, lot, there are lots of explosions and Osira chews a lot of scenery and in yeah. the end, and Tilly is left in charge. We haven't talked about Tilly very much. You know, uh, Mary Wiseman gets to chew scenery as Killy in the, in, that was my favorite part of the Mirror Universe episodes was seeing oh, her sure. get to mm -hmm. not be, in season one, she played Tilly playing Killy. We get to see Captain Killy and just have her chew the scenery and it, it was delightful because <laughs> I, I think Mary Wiseman is great. But it, the regular she's Tilly, you know, she gets made acting first officer, essentially. And yes, she's an ensign, but she's also a command training program kind of person. And I think everybody views her as being captain material. She doesn't do a great job initially, but uh, she does in the two-part sort of diehard on Discovery 
uh, finale, yeah. which yeah. as an action piece and as a fun bit of television, I can complain about the way that they got there. But when they got to the end, I was like, oh, this is why you made so much effort to get to this ending. This is a lot of fun, right? And she and yeah. and they all have yeah. the, the whole bridge crew has things to do and they make sacrifices that aren't actually sacrifices, but they don't know that at the time. And Tilly gets to like be a leader in those moments. All of that, I thought, worked pretty well. I, I don't love how they got there, but I did think that that, that yeah. gave everybody a lot of exciting stuff to do. And plus elevators yeah. and subspace. I, I I tend to focus on moments and characters more than I do on the entire arc. So, yeah, when I take a step back and look at the whole thing and, you know, I can point to some of the moments that were my lesser favorites, uh, talking about Saru and stuff, and see that that is a piece of the problems with the way that they did plot it out. So I completely agree with that. But when I sort of just think about this season overall, I think it's my favorite of all of them because of just the way that it felt and the, you know, the, the framework may have been janky at a few places, but the pieces that they hung onto that framework were so delightful to me that mm-hmm. overall I, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that, you know, maybe after three seasons of this, they will take some lessons about setting up that framework correctly from the beginning. <laughs> so they don't have to, Four like, times oh, the charm. Well, they can have like a uh, writing and production crew stay the same for a year and not have yeah. the fire. They did have the whole yeah. pandemic to write season four. Maybe they got ahead of the game a little yeah. bit there. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, yeah. each, each season I think has been better than the last. And yeah. while I, I loved, I loved yeah. last season, I loved Captain Pike, who is a character I have never cared. You know, he's, he's literally a cardboard cutout until last season for me. And so, you know, I loved the nostalgia of that. And yet this season felt like it was doing something new and, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, do I have individual problems with plot lines or episodes or moments here and there? Absolutely. Is there a single perfect episode? Not really. But I can step back and say, you know what? I don't care because I enjoyed every last second of it. You know, the, the thinking who is Carl and looking at his newspaper and kind of trying to make out, <laughs> even before screenshots of it, just making that out and going, I bet he's the guardian of forever. And then getting that payoff at the end of the second episode where he literally gets to lip sync. I am the guardian of forever. And I just giggled <laughs> yeah. like a schoolgirl. It was, you know, and, and everyone was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm just so nope. happy. Nope. You know, it made me happy. <laughs> you know, Pike made me I, happy, um, but this, everything made me happy. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I'll watch more. Sure. Uh, I, for this, I just, I didn't rewatch the whole thing, but I did go back to the beginning and I feel like episode one and two are close to perfect, um, because they just mm. set up what's going to happen. And, and yes, there's like episodes I don't love. I, I think the Vulcans were underserved and I think, you know, many of the things we've talked about, but once you get back to the ending and then, you, you know, it just it worked for me like the as a whole story and um especially michael burnham and sonequa martin green i thought she got to really stretch out a lot more with uh, the acting options you know that she was given and could i mean she just had some expressions and her you know her happiness like was and joy was much more like you know exuberant when it, when it could be that it just made me happy to to watch her, um, as was her pain when when things were painful. And the whole the the whole diehard on the discovery 
so <laughs> like that, that was some good action. It was, Which, you yeah, know, yeah. this is Star. This is Star Trek. We we don't get to say that a lot, to be honest. Like, even <laughs> <laughs> even like the the finale of last mm. season, the last time uh, we did uh, an incomparable episode, I was like, ah, oh, this is uh, release the drones and stuff, and this is all so I don't know. It just never really worked for me. And like this season, I was like, yeah, even like I said, the endless elevator, I'll let it go. It's fine. Like yeah. it's it it, it was yeah. a proper sort of action thing. I think the thing that kind of was really weird was something J- Jason mentioned, like just the the sort of intercutting between sort of the actiony parts and the hollow parts. Right, like that was where I th- I really think if those were sort of separate episodes somehow, I don't know how yeah. I'm not you know in television Ooh. obviously, but if that was somehow a little bit more separated, I think it would have been even better. But like as far as endings go, even with the whole rush, uh, rushing of everything, it was like a pretty satisfying ending. Except I, I really do like the the, the whole Saru uh, plotline. I think that was just, that's just a shame. I think they really were just surprised how much of a breakout character he is. And to mm-hmm. just kind of like wavy handy him away at the end, that was really right. even the shot of them looking well, at the stars on yeah, Kaminar. That was I. I do think that was the the pandemic though, because it's so abrupt. It is. It is a. I think a beautiful place to put him at the end of the season. But here's the other thing that I'll say about it. You know, they do these uh, ready room shows with Will Wheaton afterward, um, where they talk to people and they pump up how great every episode is and all that because you know it's <laughs> it's their own stuff. But. Um, they don't talk about so they get to the end and and they talk to the showrunner Michelle Paradise about and and there's like anything you can tell us about season four, and it's like no we're not going to make any announcements we want this to you know sit with you for a while we're not going to give anything away and yet at the beginning of that episode she says I want to make it clear to everybody that Saru is coming back next season yep. and we didn't just write him <laughs> off and I thought well that's a sign that you know you screwed up his ending yeah and yeah. and yeah. it can very easily be read that he's never coming back like Poochie and uh it's not actually true uh and and you have to you have to communicate that outside of the show because you know you didn't do it in the show and it's I, I think it's a beautiful ending but it is also it reads literally is like well we had to fire Doug Jones he's gone now <laughs> that didn't happen I mean, that was the <laughs> thing it's like now that Burnham is captain if he does come back what are they going to do are they going to have two captain chairs on the bridge or? they're going to have to I, I, I figure it's going to be a Spock like kind of thing where he's going to mm. be like he's going to be like well I'm you're the you, I'm just going to do what I'm good at or he's going to do a more Starfleety thing that was my original theory when I thought maybe Vance was a bad guy was that in the end Saru's going to end up yes. being their commander from Starfleet and send them out on missions and things but I don't know they got to find a way to integrate him yeah. Because he's such a great character, and I'm sure I, I think they'll find a way. Part of part of his trouble finding a catchphrase for saying right. "Let's go to warp." <laughs> I th- I think he's going to say, "This is where your talent lies. This is not where my talent lies." So I'm, I'm good. Let as me a, do my thing. Yeah, that's the Spock thing, right? Is like, yeah. this is yeah. where I belong. Is is this here? Is, this is my first best destiny. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean, um, but, honestly, when you think about it, you know, the the job of the first officer is to deal with the crew. That's not really supposed to be the captain's job. Mm-hmm. And I think Saru has shown that he is excellent at that. He's like a good that's, manager. that's where yeah. his strength good lies. Manager. So <laughs> if he if he does come back and decide to, you know, be manager of the Starship Discovery, I would be I would be all well, for that. And you can see what kind um, of captain Burnham's gonna be. Burnham's gonna be like Kirk, right? She's gonna be aimed, oh, yeah. I'm gonna beam mm-hmm. down there and punch some people. Saru, you've got the con. And Saru's like, good. <laughs> Because somebody's <laughs> got to run this ship, and it makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not going to be the whole Riker's going to go on the away missions and Picard's going to stay behind, right? <laughs> Don't that's think so. Not gonna be, Don't think yeah, so. That's not going to be the dynamic there, yeah. On, on the <laughs> other hand, you know, you know why I think they may go with Star Trek Different Strokes? They built the sets. I don't know. I think that's just a, <laughs> no, in a computer. It's a virtual set. Uh, uh, well, we're talking about the future. Um, season four. Um, dare I dream that season four be a little more traditionally, now that we've gotten to this point, a little more episodes. traditionally Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Where they could, they could, I mean, episode, a little more episodic might be nice, but even with a story arc, I would like the premise of season four to be we have a federation we have a starship we're going to be sent out on missions and yeah they could be there'll be an unraveling kind of overarching story that's fine but like at the end of this episode i feel like you're set up as a star trek show finally can we do that can we have (laughs) that please now so long as it's not 10 episodes of delivering dilithium to planets (laughs) and then three episodes at the end where something happens i don't mind the long plotted arc i just want them to get the pacing fixed that yeah that's my one complaint every season just fix the pacing i don't i even the dilithium delivery service right if that's the (laughs) but then it becomes futurama well yeah but but the truth is gonna be it's not about the dilithium it's about trying to stitch together the federation and instead of first contact with strange new worlds you're re-contacting worlds that have been out of contact for uh, right. You know, for a hundred years, and who knows? And that's an interesting and concept. That might be yeah, interesting. Yes, that's, I, that's what I thought Star this Trek-y. season would be, which it wasn't. But I'm hoping <laughs> next season will be that. Yeah, I, I think they've set it up as we're in a really good place. But then I thought we were in a really good place at the start of this season. Um, <laughs> well, to to David's point, like they they thought there was drama to be wrung from putting these people in a universe that is or a galaxy that is broken. And having them have to find their way and sort of fix it, and I, like yeah. I think that was probably the pitch, right? Rather than having them just be welcomed, uh, welcome to the 31st century. We'll fix your ship, and and you can continue doing Star Trek. They <laughs> they had it be, oh, it's all ruined here, and you need to fix it first, and then you can do Star Trek. And right. that's sort of where they get it's, at the end. It's it's not like that that jump from the pilot to the first episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, where it's like, oh, he's just part of the group. This was all done before the uh, pandemic, but uh, I feel thematically Ex- perfect fit well, for the pandemic. This except for the music and and that's one thing i did want to point out is that all of the scores were done individually at home and pieced together after the lockdowns yeah, like we do podcasts. which is amazing to me yeah and, and, well and all the editing and all the vfx and like literally everything post-production was yeah. done on this show remotely i i never once like to anjay's point earlier like it looks really good like i i never felt they yes. they were let down by their VFX crew or by their the the music or anything. It feels perfectly uh, yeah. well constructed. Uh, the only stuff that let me down, well, yeah, was more like the writing or or the or maybe the budget problems in the middle of the season where they they had to cheap out on some <laughs> sets and stuff. But not the I think the problems. acting was also very good and very solid throughout the whole yes. series. Any final thoughts about season three of Discovery before we wrap it up? Bring on season four. Yeah. Bring yeah. on. Let's go. Well, they're shooting it now. So that's good. The, the, I, I realized that they released the teaser trailer for season three of Discovery a full year before season three of Discovery <laughs> actually aired <laughs> because of the production slowdown because of the pandemic. So hopefully we'll get season four 
a little bit sooner than that, but they are shooting it now, so that's a good sign. Um, I yeah, and there's no Star Trek for a little while now, which is again because of the so pandemic, weird. we're just going to have to wait around for. But new they've got like thirteen shows in production or whatever. Well, I so believe yeah, they're going to be shooting. Uh, uh, Picard is just about to spin up for season two, which means that that for the first time uh, since Deep Space Nine left the air. There'll be two Star Trek shows shooting simultaneously, so that's funny too. And then, and then presumably, Strange New Worlds and whatever they do with George well, O. Hashtag they built the set. Strange New World they follows season four of mm-hmm. Discovery in Toronto. Apparently. Yeah. So, I I will say uh, I liked how they developed all the Vulcan and Romulan stuff through from what Picard had done too. They did a very nice job. Yeah, there's some links to Star Trek Picard in, in the Navarre stuff. And of course, for people who, who don't know, Navarre itself is a reference to fan fiction from the mm-hmm. 70s about the Vulcans and Which, the Romulans. And as soon as they said that, I just, again, yeah. I just started giggling. I was like, yes! Yeah, that's such a great... These are people who know plus, Star Trek. The Vulcans have been so important to Star Trek and the Romulans for that matter to... to to follow up, we didn't even mention like Unification Three. The idea it's part three of the two-parter from the Next Generation, <laughs> and, yeah. and and I just I like the idea that they've left room to explore. Uh, part of this future world is that the Vulcans and the Romulans aren't what they we thought they were because of all the change and the the stuff from right. the supernova that destroyed Romulus and that we see in 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 the Star Trek film by JJ Abrams and also in Star Trek Picard that they've sort of rolled that in with Spock's whole unification thing and created this uh, ultimately a combined planet with factions that don't get along there's lots of complexity there but like <laughs> I like that as a as but a we can tell a Star Trek story that's fundamentally Star Trek but also not a Star Trek story you've ever seen before that's good. I like and, that. And the idea that we get to see that Spock's final real mission came to fruition and it right. worked. And that we get a little holographic clip of Leonard Nimoy and she gets to see what her brother did after she vanished. Right. And yeah. that, again, that was another one of those moments where I just started tearing Also up. a nice touch where they're like, so nice. uh, Spock's sister wants to talk to you and the whole planet's like, <laughs> okay, you can come. All right. <laughs> on, on second thought, sure. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spock's sister? Yeah. Okay. Come on. It's you, like Surak's cousin, get, but better. You get the invitation now. Fine. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, onward to new Star Trek, hopefully sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Later this year, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but I, I actually agree with the people who said that this was the best season yet. I, I think it ended more weekly than it began, mostly because of story problems. But I think that it, this show has, under lots of very difficult behind-the-scenes production issues, I think you can see that they're stabilizing and they're getting better. And I, I'm looking forward to season four, which whenever that comes, maybe by the end of the year, we'll see. Uh, let me thank my guests spread across many time zones for uh, talking about Star Trek with me. I appreciate it. Andrzej Tomic, thank so you. Punching to the face, Jason. Just, just boom. I don't know what the goodbye the then Vulcan is. Goodbye the Vulcan goodbye yeah. is just a kick in the knees. helping you back up. Kick in the knees. <laughs> oh. uh, James Thompson, thank you. I'll just double tap my com badge and go back to the sofa. It's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> David J. Lohr, thank you. All I have to say is, let's fly. <laughs> uh, we'll we're, we're workshopping some other uh, sign-offs for you. <laughs> Eric Ansign, thank you. Jason, you need to put in some like post-editing of me just saying goodbye because I don't have time to do it right now, and I've written myself out. <laughs> Erica has returned to her home planet. <laughs> uh, and Jean McDonald, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to our next uh, Black Alert. Oh, yes. 
And right. thanks to everybody out there for listening. If you do, do want more Star Trek talk, check out the Vulcan Hello podcast. It's got another season wrap panel um, with different people. And then it's also got episode by episode with me and Scott McNulty. So check that out if you haven't already. And we'll it's be back great. with another. Oh, thank you, Erica. It, we'll be back with another episode of The Incomparable <laughs> next week. Until then, goodbye, everybody. 